you a fan of this podcast? Do you wish there was even more juicy content for you to sink your ears into? Well, there is. You can become a premium member of this podcast for $5.99 a month and get full access to an archive of over 50 bonus episodes. Additionally, we release a bonus episode every single month. That's a ton of extra content, including my personal interior design diaries, extra tips, my talking about trends, and so much more. Additionally, you'll be keeping us on the airwaves each and every week because your premium membership money goes directly back to making this podcast amazing. Check us out at affordableinteriordesign.com. Click on podcast to learn more and to become a premium member today. to get a luxe look. Be your own interior designer. This is Affordable Interior Design, the podcast. Here's your host, Betsy Hellman. It's so funny. Heck, maybe it's even a little bit cheesy, but this time of year, I really do start feeling these big waves of gratitude. I'm grateful to have this podcast for, you know, I can't even remember if it's four or five years now. Well, you know what? It's going on five years. Yes, I can remember. Uh, I'm grateful for my amazing team at Affordable Interior Design because if I didn't have people to help me, to work with me, well, I would not have time to podcast. I'm just grateful. I don't know. I guess as it gets colder, you're hunkering in, you're getting introspective, and it's true. It's happening to me too. Thanksgiving is tomorrow, and in that spirit, I just wanted to say, look around. You know, what home furnishings do you feel most grateful for? I have this blue blanket, and believe it or not, guys, it doesn't match a thing in my home, but it's this big blue fleece blanket I got a couple years back for Christmas, and it is my favorite thing. I am so grateful for this somewhat unattractive, super comfortable, super big blanket. I'm so grateful for, you know what I'm noticing? Things that are ugly in my house. We have this really big sectional that my husband picked, and it certainly would not have been my choice, but it is really comfortable. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for our coffee table, which has this lip on it so that when we're playing board games, the die never rolls off. It's the little things, guys, and I hope it's the little things for you as well. Speaking of little things, I have been talking to you guys about the Academy. I have been hearing so much. And do you know what has been coming up time and time again? The same questions, the same scenarios. And I said to myself, I said, Betsy, you should put this in a quiz because I can easily tell you if you're a fit for the Academy now that I have a clearer picture of exactly what people are asking and what their dreams are, what their goals are. So I put it all in a quiz. Go to affordableinteriordesign.com slash academy, or you can just check out the academy tab, and you'll see the quiz right there at the top. 
It's really quick. It'll take you three minutes. And if you've ever thought you might want to be a designer, if you thought you definitely want to be a designer, well, I highly recommend taking this quiz because it will tell you your path. Some people should go back to university. Some people, it's vital for you to learn AutoCAD. Others, you don't need to go to school at all. Maybe it's just a hobby for you. Maybe that's what it should be. And I can provide you clarity through this quiz. If you have a couple minutes over the holidays, if you retreat from the dining table to go upstairs to your computer, well, check out this quiz because I had a ton of fun making it. And hopefully you'll have fun taking it. Affordableinteriordesign.com slash academy. All right, speaking of being in front of your computer, people have questions for me. You can always send in your questions. Just send them to info at affordableinteriordesign.com. Be sure to note if you're a premium member, put that in the subject line so we can move your question to the top of the mailbag. All right, let me dig in. My first question has come from Justine. Justine writes, Hi Betsy, I love, love, love your podcast and I've been binge listening. I have a question about flooring and thought maybe you could help me. We have a 2,000 square foot colonial in a suburb of Philadelphia. Most of the downstairs flooring is pergo laminate. The powder room is craptastic vinyl. The foyer and the hallway are tiled. The stairs, guest room, and my daughter's room are carpeted and the master bedroom is hardwood. This small house is a mishmash of flooring types and not in a good way. Everything needs to be replaced. What would you recommend to create a more consistent flow throughout the house? We have children and a dog, so durability is key. The laminate seems to be holding up well, but it's not my favorite. The hardwood in our bedroom is very scratched from the dogs, but I love hardwood, but it's expensive. And the carpeting is just yuck. It's soft on the feet, but that's about all it's good for. What about these stairs? Can laminate be installed on stairs? Help, I am so confused. All right, Justine, I'm here to help. What I love to do in this situation is process of elimination. What are all the options that you could do? And it seems like you already have a lot of options available in your home. So you already know many of the pros and cons. Then I love to make that list and check these off the list one by one. So vinyl is gross. You know, vinyl is dated. Don't do any more vinyl. That I can tell you for sure, unless it's like a basement or I don't know, just don't be doing vinyl. Tile is something that you already have in a couple of places. You haven't mentioned that you want to do that throughout and it would be kind of expensive to do that throughout. So don't do that. It sounds like you're either going to go with the hardwood or the laminate. Now, hardwood would be great for resale and you really like it, but your dogs are really scratching it up. It's going to look gross the instant you put it in. It seems like laminate might be the way to go. But the other thing to check is your budget, right? How much do you want to spend? How much do you really have? Carpeting would be much more expensive inexpensive than laminate or hardwood, but the problem with carpeting is it's going to get really nasty with these dogs and kids. For me, that's a total no-go. It seems like your best plan with the options you've laid out here is laminate, but I do think that your contractors might have some other ideas, and I do think that you should consider resale value because laminate, of course, is not as um, 
exciting to buyers as hardwood, and you can refinish those hardwood floors before the new people move in or before you put it on the market to maximize that investment. So when you're talking renovation questions, it's not something that you should answer quickly or without a lot of consideration, but I do think, Justine, you can significantly narrow these options. All right, let's go to the next question. Hi, Betsy. I just got your podcast and I listen to it every day on my commute. We just bought a home where the fireplace slash entertainment console is in the center of the home. The problem, I think, is that the shelves on either side of the fireplace are not symmetrical. I'm afraid that is bad feng shui and it could lead to an imbalance in health and well-being. I've attached a picture of the fireplace as well as some inspiration pictures of how we plan to add the cabinets and the shelving. Is there something that we can do to promote balance without physically moving this fireplace? We just resurfaced the whole thing with new drywall and took out one large bank of shelves, and I hate to do any more demo. Thank you so much for your advice, Kate. All right, Kate, we should not be a slave to feng shui. We should definitely think about feng shui when we're designing. We should try and optimize it, right? We need to think about things like flow, balance, contrast, those essential principles of design. But in some places, it's just not possible to have absolutely optimum feng shui. And so we want to create remedies, right, to offset that, but we don't want to completely reconfigure the home or invest thousands upon thousands of dollars just to optimize feng shui. At least I don't recommend that, right? In this situation, this fireplace is somewhat off balance. It's not centered on the wall. But we can make that make sense by perhaps not being so symmetrical with the other things in the room. So maybe you don't do a sofa with two end tables. Maybe instead you do an L-shaped sectional that helps, you know, that side where the fireplace has more wall, maybe the one arm goes on that side and then the shorter arm juts out and faces the fireplace or an equidistant arm just so that the room doesn't have to be totally symmetrical. You know, I was kind of thinking of it as a piece of paper where you fold it in half. And if you expect to see some things able to be symmetrical and fold in half neatly and then don't see the fireplace, well, that makes it look more off. But if the whole thing is designed in such a way that you're making use of that larger side of the room, well, I think that in its own way creates balance. And certainly there are lots of remedies you can do in feng shui. You could add mirrors. You can use crystals. If you Google feng shui remedies, you'll see lots of different options. But my main takeaway for everyone listening is not to get caught up, right? According to feng shui, your house numbers should have equaled up to the number eight. Is that possible for everyone? No. According to feng shui, when I lived in a studio apartment, my love zone was in the bathroom. And seriously, my love life was in the dumper. It was not going that well. I did some feng shui remedies. I always kept my toilet seat closed. I drew a picture of my ideal mate. I really made that bathroom zone as sort of loving as I could. And I did draw someone into my life just a few weeks after I made those shifts. So feng shui does have a lot of power, but don't let it paralyze you or prevent you from living your best life in this space.
And now it's time for a quick commercial break. Do you love this podcast? Do you wish you could learn even more? Well, we have an online class bundle. Our online class bundle is comprised of three online classes, Beautifying Your Home for Less, Styling Your Home, and The Fundamentals of Feng Shui. Each one of those three classes is between 30 and 45 minutes long and chock-filled with visuals and tips, things that will help you to style your own space or help out with other spaces. Additionally, with the pack of three classes, you get an autographed copy of my book, Affordable Interior Design. You get all of that for only $99. Once again, that's the three online classes as well as the book for only $99. You just go to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to buy your bundle today. And if one of those classes sounded intriguing, but maybe you already have my book or some of the other topics are not of interest, you can buy the classes individually at that site as well. Each class is $40. So head over to affordableinteriordesign.com classes to get your bundle or your online class today. Okay, let's move on to Paige's question. Paige writes, Hi, Betsy. I love your podcast. I listen every day at work to get advice on what to do with my new home. My boyfriend and I are in the process of buying a home and we are struggling with what we want to do with our living room layout. We want it to be functional, stylish, and of course, we want to maximize the space. I've included a link to the house, but I was hoping you could give us some pointers. This room is long and it is narrow. It was not centrally located in the room, but the, I think she means the fireplace, isn't centrally located in the room. We want to put a TV over the fireplace since there really isn't another place to put it. And we'd like the furniture to be functional in the sense that you're not struggling to see the TV. I'm just not sure what to do with this space. Help, Paige! All right, Paige, I checked out the listing and your fireplace is high. That mantle is really high. There's a lot of brick above the fireplace opening and your ceilings are standard height at eight feet. If you put a TV up there, it's going to be really, really hard to see unless you angle it significantly, which is going to look weird. Additionally, your room is narrow, just like you said. So you're not going to be able to sit back far enough to make that viewing comfortable. It's going to feel like you're in the front row of the movie theater. Even worse than that, it's going to feel like you're sitting on the carpeting in the front row of the movie theater because that TV is so high. In this scenario, I absolutely would not make that choice. You don't have many usable walls because there are so many openings that appear to lead to a dining area or desk area, perhaps a stairway. And so in this case, there is this little corner little corner over to the left where you could do a corner unit with a TV. It also appears that you might have another corner right next to the fireplace, but I couldn't get a great vantage point. But guys, this is why it is key when you move into a space to try every possible option. Because Paige, this is a very tricky room. Between all the openings, the fireplace that is not centered, the very shallow space, the window placement, you've got quite a conundrum on your hands and this room really wasn't set up for watching TV. 
So when you have a room that poses such challenges and that's not intuitive, it's more crucial than ever to keep your mind really open and try those different options. Make sure that you eliminate all options before you do something really extreme, like hanging your TV practically on the ceiling. All right, Paige, I hope that gave you a little reality check and maybe even some inspiration. Let's move to my next question. Hello, Betsy. I am a part-time designer in Toronto, and I recently discovered your podcasts. I have to say that I am thoroughly enjoying listening to your tips and tricks of the trade. I studied interior design in college back in the 80s. Then I started a family while working full-time as an executive assistant and doing part-time design and decorating work. Of course, a lot has changed in the industry since then, so I recently refreshed my training and completed a diploma program at the Interior Design Institute in Canada. Now that my kids are on their own, I'm looking to start a small business. I'd love to hear how you got started. Perhaps you've touched on this in one of your podcasts, but I've only listened to four or five so far. Do you have advice on developing a business plan? I would be working from home, so there would be minimal startup costs. Would you recommend having a website professionally designed? I really like the concept you've developed for affordable interior design. I think it could work here. I would like to offer both in-person and virtual services. Any advice you can offer would be much appreciated. Warm regards, Marsha. Marsha, thanks for writing in. You know, I always love it when people are living their passion. So even though you had to take a little break to raise your family or take a different job, those skills that you learned while being an executive assistant and while being a mom really will serve you and you will be able to design with a lot more expertise, just life expertise, now that you're coming back to the career full time. And not in every profession does life expertise make you a better XYZ. Right, like in brain surgery, I'm sure. Well, actually, I can't think of a few. Anyway, you get my drift. That maybe life expertise doesn't immediately correlate to career success in other fields. But in interior design, it really does. You know and understand more deeply what it means to live with kids, what it means to face those challenges, what it means then in terms of investing in certain pieces. You can advise your clients with more knowledge. Being an executive assistant, I'm sure, required you to be quite organized and stay on top of details. And that is certainly a part of the job. Now, I'll quickly in a nutshell tell you how I got started because I guess I haven't talked about it for a while in this podcast. Certainly, if you go back to my earlier episodes, I take deeper dives. So this will be the Cliff Notes version. So I started my interior design career by, well, first I was in college and I was a painter. I was making paintings for people's apartments, for my own enjoyment, to sell in galleries. And as I was making these paintings, I loved to listen to TV in the background because it was just kind of soothing and I didn't like a quiet space. So I would turn on the TV and I loved watching Trading Spaces while you were out. Those shows would basically be on a loop in the background. And so it must have come in through osmosis. But when I left college and moved to New York City, I was continuing to make paintings. I would go to people's apartments. Their apartments looked hideous. They didn't have furniture and they wanted a painting. Like where were their priorities? So I told one of my clients that one day that he really needed a sofa and not a new painting. And I pitched him the idea of me designing his apartment. 
I designed his apartment, made him a couple paintings while I was doing that, and it turned out fabulously, even though the experience had a very rough outcome, which you should either read in my book, Marsha, or go back to a previous episode, because mama don't want to cry today. Mama don't want to cry. So... I was inspired by his project and I decided to get some more knowledge. Is this a path I want to go down? Do I want to merge my art skills with my love of working with people and turn this into something? So of course, I'd been watching a lot of interior design TV. I reached out to Tom Felicia from Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. He happened to have a base in New York. And so I went to work for his firm as an apprentice for about a year. And while I was there, because I didn't know AutoCAD, right, all the other interns knew AutoCAD, they were in front of the computer all day, every day. I didn't know that software because I hadn't been to interior design school. So I was immediately out in the field. I was accepting deliveries at clients' homes. I was in penthouses overseeing installations. I was in the Hamptons and mansions designing for celebrities. I was basically the gopher, which meant I got to see everything. I got to get my hands dirty, and I really developed a love and a passion for these transformations. However, I'm from Missouri. I grew up poor and working with clients, spending oodles of money sometimes made me feel a little queasy, right? Because I just thought back to how much I could do with that money in other circumstances, how many people needed that money for something so much more important than an end table when I was spending thousands of dollars, three times my rent on a small piece of furniture, maybe even a pillow. And I couldn't relate. So I left Tom Felicia. I tried to get the other interns interested in an affordable interior design slant as well, because that really didn't exist where we were in New York City at this time. But they loved working Lux. They loved flying to the Bahamas and picking out custom fabrics and working with antique pieces. And that just didn't turn me on. So a year or two after I left Tom Felicia, I finally got up the courage to start something on my own because I really didn't want to start something on my own. I hadn't been to design school. I wanted to bring somebody who had expertise to unite with my passion and drive. But finally, I decided I'm just going to do it. And I started by designing for friends and family. Big trap, big trap. Listen to last week's episode. Don't start that way because not only did I grow a little bit resentful, but I made a lot of mistakes and that wasn't fair to them. And it also wasn't fair to me to work for next to nothing, right? So there are some red flags there and I want you to listen to last week's episode about that. Or was it the week before? Oh, it's all a blur. And so anyway, then little by little, I gained expertise. And finally, it started to get really busy because word of mouth referrals. And I was just getting calls all the time. I couldn't keep up. I had to leave my bartending job. I had to leave my catering gigs. And I devoted myself to this full time. But when I did, I realized I needed a system. I could not keep winging it. I could not keep showing up to a client's space and not immediately having the answers for them. I needed to create some kind of framework that I would work in every time that would not only give me confidence and structure, it would also help me learn how to price so that I wasn't working for hours on end for a client and not getting fairly compensated. It allowed me to manage expectations and manage my work time so that everything became more streamlined and more profitable. And in this way, I stumbled into a business plan the back way, right? You have a great opportunity to start with a vision, 
But I will tell you that I worked lots of different ways at affordable interior design. I've done renovations. I've done flat rate packages. I've done by the hour packages. I've done custom packages for people. So over here, we've tried lots of different models and I wound up choosing flat rate packages with by the hour add-ons as our way of working. It is not the most lucrative way to design. It's just the way that I personally had most fun, the way that I was most inspired. So Marsha, that is what I'm going to tell you. What do you like to do? What's your favorite part of design? Is it the installation? Is it the shopping? Is it the meeting lots of new people and creating lots of new designs? Think about what really turns you on about that design process and build your business around that. Because I have been working this way, using my framework and my system ever since I started in 2005, and I still love it because I only do what I like and I don't do what I don't like namely renovations. I don't like renovations. I don't like the details. The transformation is amazing, but you open up cans of worms that it can be hard to get compensated for, and it was never emotionally worth it for me. I always felt a sense of dread going into those parts. So what parts give you a sense of dread? More than doing a business plan, I want you to tap in to what you love about the field. Once you've created some packages or some ideas around those parts that you love, start thinking about how much you can actually charge. In person, you can charge a lot more than you can virtually. And so since you're near an urban area, I think in person might find uh, you might find is much more profitable. We offer virtual services only because we have a lot of clients that we've worked with before who've since moved away and they want to work with us again and again. And it's quite easy for us to work virtually. We love it. We use the same process that we use in person, but we can't charge as much. And there is, of course, a lot more competition. These are things to think about, Marsha, because it will impact down the road how you market, how many clients you're getting and different things like that. Well, I hope that helped. I hope that gave you a glimpse into why I do things and what I do. And of course, you should consider that academy, Marsha. I know you were considering it. And think about it again. Uh, If you can't find that framework, if you can't decide how to move forward, I teach my framework in the academy. I teach that system that I created. But it sounds like you already have a good foundation of knowledge. Sounds like you may not fully need the academy if you have confidence and tools. So what I want you to do is take those confidence and tools and look at them critically when creating your business. Guys, it's been so great talking to you. Thankful, thankful, thankful. And uh, I should probably go grocery shop because Thanksgiving is tomorrow. I don't have a turkey. I don't have gravy. Don't have cranberry sauce because I've literally been designing up until yesterday night at six o'clock. Everybody wants their home ready for the holidays. Everybody's feeling very motivated now that they're inside and seeing all the issues going on. And we are busier than ever this month. So I'm going to go grocery shopping, do a little design work, and then hunker down with my family, light the fire, and think about gratitude. All right, guys, grateful for you. Have a wonderful holiday. You've asked for it, and we have answered the call. 
For years, you've been saying, Betsy, you're talking about all these great design concepts, but we can't visualize them. You're describing the picture that the listener sent in of their problem, and we wish we could see that picture too. After all, a picture is worth a thousand words, and I do my best to describe them, but there's nothing like seeing it for yourself. And that's why Affordable Interior Design, the podcast, now has a YouTube channel. Not only do we have a YouTube channel where you could see recordings and clips of these podcast episodes, we also have an Instagram, a Facebook, and so many other exciting things. You should check it out. Head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash links. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash L-I-N-K-S links. And when you go there, you will see links to our YouTube page, our Instagram page, our Facebook page, and more. Please check it out, follow and subscribe so you can see everything I'm talking about. A big thank you to our amazing producer, Catherine Heller, to Aton and the MBCR House Band, and to Affordable Interior Design, the sponsor of this podcast and the premier place to get an amazing look on a budget. Check out affordableinteriordesign.com. If you guys love the show, the very best way to support us is by spreading the word. Tell your friends or write us an awesome review on iTunes. So until next week, guys, thanks so much for joining us, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.